Welcome to Evolution Network. I'm David Mudrick. Our guest today is John Rogers. John has had a career in the tourist industry for over 30 years. He has a wide range of different selling experiences. He has managed ticket sales, sold to retail souvenir buyers and distributors, and has even sold RVs and campers. On the operations side, he has managed concessions at theme parks, managed a souvenir manufacturing business that made the Inc. 500 list, and also managed retail operations at tourist attractions and has been interviewed by trade publications for his expertise in the souvenir industry. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. I'm glad to be here. I guess what I didn't mention was that you had also spent 13 years in the Army and Army National Guard, where you're involved in leadership positions. So let's start there. Uh, what skills and values did you acquire at the Army that helped you in your career? You know, I like to uh, watch a lot of those TED Talks with the former trainers for SEAL units and former drill sergeants. And I always think it comes down to the same thing, which is character. And in the military, character means leadership skills. And it really focuses on, in my belief, tenacity, persistence, uh, being able to pursue what you need to have done. And... Uh, I think that makes all the difference in attitude and success. Well, as, as many in our audience are sales managers or sales reps, uh, do you think there's any specific skills you obtained in the Army that helped you be better at sales? Yeah, to not be defeated too easily. Um, you've got to look at shortfalls and challenges uh, as just – another obstacle to, to overcome and move on. A good example of that would be uh, when, you know, you have a meeting and you've done all this work, and you brought all the samples, and you seem to have a good meeting, but there's not much follow-up from the buyer later on. Or maybe it falls through completely. And we can think that sales has a finish line, and it doesn't. You're just crossing obstacles, and even if you have the success of a sale, most sales are one step in that relationship. They're going to lead to other sales. And I think knowing how to continue moving forward no matter what is the best thing that you can learn in sales or really in any field. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, and even when you've just made the sale, you're not done because it's got yeah. to get shipped and something will go wrong. And so, yeah, it's a long-term relationship that you've got to take care of all the time, even once you get there. Absolutely. Even if you're selling a big ticket item, they could be back in a year or two to buy another. In the RV business, the first trade-in is a year later. You're selling houses, people might have another child. They might move another three or four years. You'd like to have a relationship there that continues to provide that, that ongoing sale. Yeah. So you were also a buyer at a uh, tourist attraction like the Florida Aquarium and uh, and Bush Gardens, I believe. Were you a buyer there too, or just? No, I was in the, I was in the stores there. So that's where I learned the basics of the retail uh, for tourism and merchandising. So from a buyer standpoint, uh, let's say at the aquarium, uh, what qualities did you see in sales reps that you wanted to work with? What, what things stood out with with you? You know, I would say 
something I've said hundreds of times, people buy from people. You have to meet the right person that you trust, has a high level of integrity, who's not just throwing everything they have in front of you, but being selective with what they show you, and who has a sense of your business. And we get told that all the time. And these days, a good way to do that is uh, what I call internet reconnaissance. You go online, find some articles. I just had a big meeting with a large chain that I'm very excited about. I went online first. I found numerous articles about them. With Google Maps, you can stand in front of their store and look at it. You can see the area. You can go on Facebook. You can search images online. You can see pictures within the store. I expect that sales rep to know something about me. And for example, at the Florida Aquarium, people would show me killer whale merchandise. We didn't have any killer whales at the Florida Aquarium. <laughs> uh, just doesn't make sense. You've got to have a little bit more of an idea of what, what products that, that buyer is interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about actually understanding the retail floor, walking your stores, looking for opportunities? To, did you have a lot of sales reps that did that kind of thing, or did they just come in and show you stuff? Certainly. One of the very best, uh, Jerry Wilker, who's huge in the industry and someone I think of uh, very highly re respected, um, been on my resume as a for years. Um, love Jerry. He would go into my store and actually find the spot for his merchandise. And he would talk me to the merchandise and show me exactly where he wanted to put it. And if I said, you know, Jerry, I got this thing here. It's it's really important that I have this where it is. Or maybe I don't don't have actually in our business where we sell name programs and their floor fixtures. Jerry would like kick a basket out of the way and say, how about right there? <laughs> That's a good spot. What if I give you some money off on the display and I buy it from you? You know, we buy that spot. And uh, he, he was very successful with that technique. He knew my store and he genuinely sold me that I was going to do better having his product. I was going to make more money and accomplish my goals at work. You know, it's interesting as I just uh, talked to Shannon Gaddy the other day and he was a buyer uh, for many years. And, and when I asked him uh, how anybody got through to him in a cold call and he said, well, never. And then he said, well, yeah, once. And he said, actually, the guy uh, sent me an email and said, hey, it was out on your floor and you've got all this chocolate that's not being rotated and it's going to go bad. And it wasn't even what the guy was selling. It was just hey, you're helping me out. And then like, hey, would you talk to me? And he did. So it's kind of interesting that you're saying, you know, that same quality uh, actually made an impression on him as far as just looking at the floor, helping out. Even if you're not helping out with your own product, maybe you can help uh, that buyer manage their business or their store better. Absolutely. As long as you're very careful how you do that, of course. <laughs> um, we all have our pride factor. And as long as it's done with respect and gently, it can be done. And uh, I saw that interview with Shannon, and I, I thought that was a very good point he made. And also, to go a little further with that, knowing people and networking. And we talk about networking. We have LinkedIn. We have hundreds or thousands of connections that don't really do us any good. Unless you reach out to people. 
And as sales managers, uh, especially in this industry, in the souvenir industry, we're very uh, outgoing and I think we're willing to share. And I think if you're respectful and you help each other with leads, you can be more successful having those relationships, but you've got to have the courage to pick up the phone, talk to that person, say, I know I haven't talked to you in a while. I could really use some help. Do you know this buyer? Because Shannon's point was very good. A cold call is very difficult to get through to a buyer, a cold email. But if you have some connection, I was talking to Mike Geftick and he suggested I give you a call. He said he thinks this would be a perfect fit for you. Whoever that individual is, that's going to give you that step in. You're a friend of a friend. Very important. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what do you think as far as developing relationships with other sales managers, but especially competitors? I mean, how do you feel about that? You know, the competitor part's a little tougher, but one thing that I think in most industries would be true is you really don't want to see a very bad customer, someone who doesn't pay their bills, whatever the issue is. You want to see them hurt other people no matter what. And most competition is friendly, and I find it to be very positive. Um, they're driving me. I, I do that within my sales team. I'm very excited for other salespeople who do well, and I use that to inspire me to do better. I'm not afraid of giving them an accolade in front of my boss, in front of peers, because I'm doing my job. I know that I'll accomplish what I need to. And that goes to take that a step further. I always say, you know, one great athlete, the best football player in the country, doesn't get to the Super Bowl by himself. You have to have a team around you. So a successful team is going to get much further than you being the best salesman out of a company that's failing because there aren't enough sales because you can't do it yourself. And the same with our peers, especially if they happen to be in somewhat different uh industries or have different lines where it's much more open. Hey, I've got some t-shirts. I'm working on this guy. This is a great customer. Hey, I've got name programs. Could you help me out with somebody? Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think probably in our industry in particular, we don't have enough of that. Uh, somehow a lot of people are out there on their own and everybody's the enemy. And, you know, I don't think it's good for, us. I don't think it's good for the industry. I don't think the buyers like to see it either. So, uh, yeah, I think we need a lot more of that kind of all working together. To, uh, I mean, we're all on the same team, if you want to look at it in our industry, right? It's a tourist souvenir industry. The buyers need to buy stuff. They need to sell stuff. They need to make profits. So do we. It's like a rather approaching this, you know, uh, from an individual basis, like who can we beat? Who can we you know, talk bad about the competition. If we all uh, kind of get together, I think it's better for the industry. Well, absolutely. And think about how well the buyers in, in many groups are organized. The Zoo and Aquarium group, for an example, there's a lot of great benefits that that group provides them. Uh, different trade shows and specific articles in Souvenir Gifts and Novelties magazine. That's an organized group. I was there when it began. I was in the first meetings in Gatlinburg when it was, uh, you know, stitched together. And to have that kind of force and to be able to talk to a peer who's many states away, who is not competing for the same customer, 
That's a huge advantage. What's your 10 best sellers? I'll give you my 10 best sellers. And it's the same with a company that sells something different. And even like I said, with competitors, hey, let's make sure the other guy doesn't get clobbered when he doesn't need to be. They don't need that because there's also a small industry. You could be working for them tomorrow. You could be working for them in five years. You don't know where you're going to end up. Maybe their company buys yours or vice versa. It's a small little industry out here. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the buying side is way more organized than the selling side or the manufacturer side for that matter of fact too. Absolutely. What do you, um, when you're having a conversation with a buyer and the competition comes up, what's, do you have any tips for handling that? I mean, how do you, um, how do you handle when they say, Hey, these guys are cheaper than you or, you know, whatever the, the normal kinds of things come up in a negotiation. I think, and I would take this, uh, I believe it was the movie Patriot Games. You know, when uh, the president had a friend who was involved in something bad and there was a uh, very bad situation that occurred that was connected and he was told to embrace that. I embrace what my competitors do. I embrace the fact that they may be cheaper, but not better. I have the best line in the industry the highest quality. That's what we're about. If I was selling the cheapest, I'd sell that. Uh, there's two kind of campers on the market, to use an analogy. There's fiberglass and there's aluminum sided. People say, why is one better over the other? They all have pros and cons. I asked my sales manager one day, what's better? He said, whatever you're standing in front of, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're selling, right? Now, I don't mean that to be that everybody can be the best, but we all have our niche. That company did not grow and flourish because it had no niche. Whether it's a cheaper version of something else, whether it's something brand new and not seen before, there's a reason you exist that your business has grown to a certain point. Embrace that and get around it. Yes, I have more expensive products. We cannot lower our prices too far to make you more money but you can garnish higher retails on our products. You're going to be excited because every time you touch that item, it's going to make you more money than our competitor. I'm not selling, you know, the lowest end uh, Coca-Cola that's made in uh, somebody's backyard. I want to sell Coca-Cola. If you're selling Pepsi, you're selling Pepsi, but I want to sell the top line. Okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. What do you, uh, if you have a buyer who's using the excuse of price, which I think is probably one of the top objections, uh, but it may not be the real reason, uh, how do you try to get through that and get some insight into the real reason why they're not making a decision to buy something from you? It's a tough one. Uh, so many times the buyers are forced not only to look at total revenues, but to their cost of goods and everyone should, but sometimes costs of goods can be more important to a business or especially people on a board or higher ups who may not really understand the bigger picture. And there are times when a little bit higher cost of goods will turn out in higher retails, higher revenues, and it's worth it. Incremental sales are example of that. When you sell that third item, a three for price, 
and that third one costs half or a few dollars less than the first two. Your cost of goods is going to go up, but it should be incremental sales. It should be additional revenues that you wouldn't have. And after all, what we're talking about is money, not percentages. When the retail becomes an issue, the other thing you have to show is you have to have a reason why that retail is higher, why that cost is higher. And that higher retail is going to make that customer, that buyer, more money. You're going to touch it less often. You're going to make more money. And that's why going to a convenience store, they sell every level of product. Some people want the best and some people just want something. You have to have those differentiations and see where you fit that picture and sell into it. And, and also, don't let them be afraid of that higher retail. A lot of times a buyer doesn't think that their store can handle that. Give it a shot. Give it a test. See what it can do. Make a few more dollars off of this product than the competitors. Yeah, good point. What about when something goes wrong? I mean, something's always going to go wrong, and it's really not your fault. I mean, you've sold it. I've agreed on the sale. The company ships it wrong, ships it late. Does you know? And I, obviously, you're the front person, so you're going to take the brunt of that uh, complaint or those problems. So, do you have any tips for how to handle that? I mean, do you take that personally? Hey, it's my fault. I'll get it fixed. Do you try to blame it on the company? I mean, what's your what's your approach with that? It's kind of a tough one. Well, I want to answer that never happens to me, but I've heard a lot of good stories. <laughs> but uh, that would that would not be using the character, which is what I started with. Um, you have to take the hit. You have to be wrong. I don't try to place blame outside of me um, personally. Sometimes I can say, hey, there was bad communication with the company. There's a misunderstanding. One of the things I learned very early on in leadership in junior ROTC, actually, I had a retired colonel who was running that at Brandon Senior High School, and he would say, communication is 90% what is received. So if you said it wrong, it's your fault. And I've learned it's 100% what was received. If you sent it poorly and it was received wrong, it's completely on you. But it goes back to that character. Hey, we messed up. If, I, if I'm selling to someone who resells and I need to talk directly to that end customer, if I have to write the big email that explains what went wrong, I call it falling on your sword, and you need to do that. And if you're not falling your sword from time to time, hopefully not too often, then I don't think you're really looking at your integrity because issues do come up regularly. If you haven't apologized sincerely to someone in a long time, maybe you've forgotten how to apologize and how important it is because it's part of business. I do take it personally, but I don't take it so personally that uh, it ruins my life um, or that I get upset with other people about it. You've got to take it and move forward. And I'll go a step further with that and reflect on my military time. There's a thing called an after action review, an AAR. And after you do any training, any situation, it could be a trade show that we go to, you should stop afterwards and say, what happened just now? I know oh, this buyer came up. I talked to him. He looked interested. And I turn to my boss. And I say, what do you think happened there? Didn't seem like he was going for that. They may give you the insight that, 
hey, it looked good to me. He just needs to bring it back and talk to his boss or talk to a committee about it. I may have had to fire someone. And then I want to turn to that other manager or those supervisors and say, what could we have done better? And often a young supervisor will say, well, there's nothing we could have done. It was their fault. Well, that's a pretty short-term response. It's an it's a inexperienced response. We can always do something better. So whether you come out of a sales meeting, you come out of a trade show, in the military we said training wasn't complete. You weren't done practicing until you reviewed what you just did. And that's a critical step. And then don't just talk it out, but maybe make some notes. Maybe that's your follow-up. You push too hard on the sale. They didn't, they didn't bite. And your peer tells you that. So you follow up in the email and you say, hey, I'm really sorry I was so excited about trying to sell you. You're a big customer. We'd love to be doing business with you. Let me put my bullet points down again. And that's another way to just simply restate what I'm trying to say in the first place. But also show them I'm human. I'm excited. And I appreciate you as a buyer and as a person. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, I don't know if you know Ray Dalio. He's uh, he, he ran uh, Bridgewater Capital, which was the largest hedge fund in the world. They made profit, I don't know, 23 out of 26 years. So just phenomenal, but head and shoulders above everybody else. And if you listen to his, uh, if you read his book, Principles, or you spend any time on his website, that's kind of a core thing for him. And that's how he started his business to be so successful. He, when he made a trade, he said, okay, well, we would look at every trade. Why was it good? Why did we make that decision to buy that? And then it was bad. Same thing. They analyzed it. And then when he got successful, you know, in, in trading that way, he said, well, why are we looking at our whole company that way? Every time we make a decision, you know, it turns out good or bad. You know, what, why? What made us make that decision? And it turned out bad. And can we learn from that? So, yeah, it's definitely uh, some principles, I think, that you can use in business, sales, or even just in your life when things go right or wrong, right? <laughs> well, look at sports. We were talking about NFL. They watch tape. They see what they did wrong. How did I plant my foot? Did I turn too far? Why am I throwing that way? Whatever it is. You know, you've got to review what you did or all you're doing is reacting and hoping you're doing a good job. That doesn't mean you get better because you do something over and over again. It just means you're still swinging. At some point, you've got to refine your skills, and that's how you do it is through review. And you can't be afraid of that. A lot of this is fear when people don't want to talk about what they did, how things went. You've got to stick your neck out. Have courage. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you did that in the army, right? You go out on a mission, you do some kind of an exercise and you come back and go, okay, what do we screw up? <laughs> what do we do right? How there's are we going to not do that next time, right? Yes. And there's some great TED Talks with uh, fighter pilots. They talk about that. You know, a mission can take 36 hours to plan, prepare and execute, but you're going to spend 20 minutes in a room at the end and talk about what really happened. And if you don't do that, you don't know why anything happened. You know, if you get into a, a pretty serious combat scenario in training and you're at the National Training Center and there's even Russian vehicles coming at you and you go through an entire war game for hours and you don't know how it started or why it ended that way. 
you haven't learned anything. You either might have got lucky or someone might have done the right thing at that moment. That's how you figure out what's what's best. And maybe that's at a trade show. What did you say that got them to make that sale? Why don't you say that to the next guy at the work? Bring that back, bring it home and carry it forward. Learning, right? Not just reacting. Yeah, no, I think that's excellent points. And then, you know, I think it's really good advice for especially a lot of younger sales managers who are just out there kind of go, go, go. I'm going to get the next sale. I'm not, they're not stepping back and thinking about it. Hey, yeah, how can I do that better next time? Or, or why did it go right? Sometimes maybe even you can learn more from when it went right. You're thinking, I don't need to analyze that, right? Well, maybe you do. Yeah, like you say, so they say that same thing again to the next person at the show. Right. It's not just reviewing what went poorly and it's not just reviewing what went well, but every time you do something, taking a moment and reflecting. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about what, what do you think is the most difficult job you ever had and how did you make it through that situation? Oh, that's a toss up between uh Army, you know, my three years regular army, especially basic and infantry school. And then that whole three years. And then I always parallel that with the three years I uh, spent doing camper sales, which was both just physically demanding, very long hours, learning new things I had not done before. And I think that uh, hard work is good because it, it shows you what you might have to do. I like what I do now more than what I was doing previously in those situations. So I relish what I'm doing now. But the other thing is, you know, go back to the army, um, that tenacity and that there isn't always a finish line. There was one day in particular, we're about four or five weeks into infantry school. Basic training goes right into infantry school. It's one long 14 week process. And I talk about there's no finish line. You just have to keep going. So we're going to go on a big run. It was the entire post had a holiday and we were going to all run every unit on the base at Fort Benning. It was going to be a good three miles or so, probably a mile getting down there and a couple mile run going around base and coming back. So our drill sergeant had us warm up by doing jumping jacks. And in the army, they call it a side straddle hop and you do two of them for every one count. It's two jumping jacks. And, you know, you do 20 of those, you do 20 push-ups, you do 20 of something else, and you get warmed up that way. Well, he had us just do jumping jacks, and when he got to 20, he didn't stop. And then when he got to 50, he didn't stop. And we're, like, looking around, going, <laughs> what's going on? And by the time he gets to 100, you're just flapping your arms like a, you know, a dying you know, seagull, and it's not very good. But you're getting warmed up all right. We did 200 of them that day. Wow. It's 400 jumping jacks, two for each count. And we got a few minutes to rest and then we jog, you know, ran down the main uh, post, just like you see in the military where they're all side by side singing cadences. And then we went on this two, two mile, maybe three mile run, which ended up being six miles. We ran all over post. We ran past every other unit. Everybody else went back to their barracks. We were still running. We ran through the woods for a while. We came up by the barracks. And this is the moment that taught me more than anything. The military, they love doing this. We ran past the barracks. You saw them coming. You're like, we're almost back. They're <laughs> going to have us halt here. We're going to go in. We're going to take showers. We're going to get some chat. 
Not quite, huh? Not quite. They run past. And as soon as you pass that parking lot, 50 guys fall out. They fall down to the sides. They got their hands on the knees. They're huffing and puffing. And what happens? You run 50 more feet. They call the halt. And all those guys who just fell out only had to run 50 more feet. <laughs> and they get extra physical training. They get all kinds of fun experiences that teach them not to do that. You don't quit. And it was the same whether we were doing those jumping jacks or we were doing the run itself or when the run was supposed to end. There's no finish line. They talk about that in SEAL training all the time. They give you a compass and a map and they say, go there. You don't know how fast you have to be there. You don't know if there's 10 points or two points. You just go. You get to the next one. They say, now go here. They swim that way. Keep going. And then at some point they go, you're good. Head back. You don't even know if you succeeded. <laughs> the next day they might call you and tell you you're going home. That's how sales is. That's how life is. That's how any good job is. Very few things that we do, we build some widget and send it down the line. In sales, it's a long-term goal. You might be at the, think you're at the finish line. You might only have 50 more feet or it might be three more miles. Keep going. What about on the other side? What's what's one of your most rewarding accomplishments you've had in your career or your life, either one? I like the fact that I've been able to grow in this industry and go from position to position. I felt very successful learning at Bush Gardens at, in the shop level, moving into buying at the aquarium, being able to start new side businesses or bring in new lines to support that operation, try to make it more money moving to laser gifts and getting to run a company and seeing the huge growth that happened with the solar keychains, 540 something percent in three years, credible growth. Um, and now moving through several different sales jobs that have put me in position now where I, I handle big distributors and chains. I like building upon my successes I like when you find some new way of doing something that either saves a bunch of money or is a breakthrough. Uh, something as simple as when I started with laser gifts, I looked at what we were paying for UPS insurance and realized it was cheaper to just not pay the insurance. It wasn't paying for itself. And we were able to save a lot of money. We were buying uh, craft paper and packaging it around the products. And one day realized we had all these boxes from the factory we weren't using. So, we just thought, well, maybe there's a shredder. We found a machine that perforates the cardboard and makes a packaging material out of it. And we went from $35,000 in packaging material to half that, even though we grew the company 500 plus percent in the next few years. Those are big successes. Look for those, relish them, you know, celebrate your victories, and then move on to the next thing. But there's a lot of successes. Enjoy what you've accomplished. I mean, I do a, I always think I do a kind of silly job. I sell keychains and pocket knives for a living. You know, that's what I do, <laughs> you know, but I enjoy it. It takes care of me and my family. And I, I enjoy the interaction with all my peers and the industry's great. It's all very good people. Love the company I work for. It. I love laser gifts. Dave, you've been great to me. And find those successes and be happy in them. And if you hate your job, go find something. 
go find something that makes you happy and decide what fulfillment means to you. Go for that. Yep. Very good advice for sure. Well, my final question here is uh, what about your future? Do you have any goals you'd like to accomplish in the next five years? What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm thinking I'm going to take the inspiration for this podcast that you started and I've already purchased a domain name and I am working on putting together a bunch of souvenir experiences I have about ways to increase retail sales and some other tricks I've learned over the years. Start putting those together and either look to do a book or a pamphlet or maybe some articles uh, in uh, a popular magazine like Souvenir Gifts and Novelties, then I can uh, send those out and help other people with that information. And I've talked about that for a long time in my life. My degree is in creative writing. And I've never sat down and written a great American novel, but this is an area that I would enjoy and it would start that process for me. And I'm trying to build on the fact that here you are starting this podcast. Let's take something from that and uh, do something similar for myself. Well, great. That's real exciting to hear. Yeah. I think even if you did some solo podcasting, you know, yeah, sales tips, buying tips. I mean, yeah, you could cover the whole spectrum there and, um, it definitely gives you more credibility in the industry. More people have heard about you when you go to sale, sell something, or you could maybe send the, uh, some tips, right? If it's some tips Absolutely. on how to be a better buyer and along with your cold call email. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a fabulous idea. You know, and it's a good thing to move forward, right? And help mentor and, and uh, support other people and, um, just something else that I can give back. And that's one thing, you know, as you mentioned, my resume is a little broad. I have quite a range. People have mentioned that before between the military and my tourism years and the attractions in Florida and then manufacturing and now sales. I've really seen every side of this business and I've also have some additional outside experiences I'm able to bring in. And uh, not that I'm the smartest guy in the room. I've never been that, but certainly there might be something that I can add to the conversation to add to someone's uh, boxing ammunition, as I like to call it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for taking the time to talk to us. I mean, you provided some really great insights to our audience and uh, good luck to you in the future. Thank you, Dave. My pleasure. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.